0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman and I'm a health journalist who spends my life asking tough questions to the experts who really know their stuff so you don't have to. This week we are talking about a fascinating and controversial technique which allows parents with rare genetic mutations to have healthy babies. It's a technique that was approved in 2017 in the UK. I'm joined this week by our reporter Jo McFarland, who's been tracking the development of this technology and she has been writing for us this week on the question as to whether Britain's first three-parent baby has actually been born in the years since it was approved. Jo, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us.
1: You're welcome, nice to be here.
0: If you have a question or comment, you can tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMinefield or email us on health at MailOnSunday.co.uk. Joe, I think we should probably start by explaining exactly what is a three-parent baby. Normally, you know, as we all know, we have two parents. So what's a three-parent baby? What are we referring to here?
1: We are referring to... The fact that the DNA from three people is involved in the creation of a healthy baby. So that's the mother and the father.
0: So it's an IVF technique then?
1: It is. It's an IVF technique at its heart, yes, but it differs in one crucial aspect.
0: And that's that they take genetic material somehow from, I think, I believe it's two mothers, isn't it, and one father?
1: That's right. So you need two eggs. Mitochondria, which are these things that can be damaged, Um, are contained basically in women's eggs and that they get passed down the maternal line. So this new technique takes the centre of a fertilised egg, so that's all the DNA from the mother and the father, but actually transplants it into a healthy egg that only contains mitochondria that are not affected by faulty genes.
0: And my understanding is that they do this to help families who have been affected by genetic diseases, so diseases that are passed down through generations and you know some of these families they're they're quite horrible illnesses, aren't they that affect children and and they unfortunately lead to you know kids with very short lives and severe disabilities is is that right
1: that's right I mean some of them are utterly devastating. I remember speaking to a woman about eight years ago now who I think had had eight miscarriages while trying to have a family and that was because they discovered that most of those uh, babies had been affected by these uh, damaged mitochondria and um, you know, would have had very serious disabilities and disease had they been born. She went on to have one child, but he himself was affected by Lee syndrome, which is unfortunately a fatal disorder of the nervous system. And he died, I think, towards the end of his teens. So she had a particularly tragic time trying to have a family and would have been enormously helped by a technique like this. Mm. There are many other obviously devastating conditions, some of them so rare they don't even have names, but the effect on children and of course those children can pass it on to their children and to their children I mean this lasts for generations and at the moment scientists have no real way of telling which children are going to be badly affected and which children will be barely affected at all. It really is a bit of a lottery if you're trying to have children and you have mitochondrial genetic defects.
0: And how many parents are likely to benefit from this this technology?
1: Um, I think there are several thousand people whose families are affected by really quite serious mitochondrial disorders. Uh, I think the the figure I saw somewhere was about 15,000 women. I mean, this technique would only be approved for those people who would struggle to have a healthy baby any other way. I mean, there are other techniques available. You can have pre-implantation genetic diagnosis and PGD, which creates embryos using IVF and screens them to see which ones are healthy and free of disease before implanting the healthiest ones back into the body. Now, women with the most severe form of mitochondrial disorder won't be able to benefit from that. Because any embryos they create from IVF will all be affected by some degree of mitochondrial disease. So for those people, round about 15,000 in the UK, we think it could be pretty transformational.
0: And this technique hasn't been without its controversies. There were reports of a three-parent baby having been born around the time that the technique in 2017 was approved in the UK. A New York doctor delivered the baby of a Jordanian family, I believe, using a three-parent baby technique and he travelled to Mexico in order to do it because he said there are no rules there. And so it's not your standard sort of scientific story, is it? There were also concerns because I believe there were babies born in the 90s using similar techniques and these babies went on to develop other kinds of genetic problems and, and at the time you know it was reported that by welding the DNA of three different people together to create one person was frank in science and all kinds of alarming things um, you know I mean what's the view now is it still considered controversial
1: I think it, it is still considered controversial in some sectors I mean there will always be people who say that this is you know a step too far in terms of meddling with what nature intended Mm. But there are other quite valid concerns about what this means in the longer term, because the fact is we just don't know. I think it's about 0.1% of the donor mother's DNA who will be mixed with the two parents' DNA. And we don't know what will happen to that further on down the line. But there's also an additional aspect to this, which is that very small traces of the damage to mitochondrial DNA will still be contained, probably, in embryos which are created this way. So we don't know, for example, whether that could increase as the generations continue, whether there still might be a degree of mitochondrial disorder passed down in subsequent generations. The truth is, we just really don't know what effect any of this will have in the longer term, although the studies carried out so far on this technique in the laboratory and on mice, for example, have been reassuring enough for our regulator in the UK to approve it for use. And they, to be honest, are one of the most rigorous regulators in terms of fertility treatment in the world. So if they're reassured, then to a certain extent, I think we can be reassured that it's not going to have any severe immediate effect, certainly.
0: And your investigations have uncovered the fact that the technique has been put into use 26 times since 2017, which could mean that they are already among us, the three parent babies.
1: Mm. It's possible. We can't say that for certain, obviously. There are very strict rules around what can be released in terms of news with regards to this technique and, and what can't. And obviously there are the families to consider and patient confidentiality and, you know, there are children being potentially being born from this technique. So I do understand why it's being kept so confidentially. I did speak to a patient who is one of those whose treatment has been approved and she did have one round of the technique which failed and now she's basically back on the waiting list for a donor egg uh, and has been waiting quite some time. So I mean it is possible that there have been problems with the technique, although someone did say to me that they understood that there had been successful couples. So I think the jury is still out and whether babies have been born or not, if they have, that's obviously wonderful, but there will be a very close eye on any babies who result from this technique to make sure A, that they're healthy and that there are not going to be any ongoing problems. And I think they'll probably want to work that out before they start announcing any potential success stories.
0: Well, look, before we go any further, I, I think we should hear more about the families to which this will be a benefit. On the line now, we have Liz Curtis, who is chief executive of the Lilly Foundation, the mitochondrial disease charity. Liz, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. Uh, We're discussing today the incredible technique which allows parents with rare genetic illnesses to have healthy babies, the the three-parent baby technique. And I wondered if you could tell us a bit about the illnesses, the kinds of diseases that this aims to tackle.
2: There's lots of different types of mitochondrial diseases, and they can affect families and babies in lots of different ways. I guess the most severe will be a baby who's unlikely to live beyond their first, second, third birthday. So a family faced losing a child. Even if a child doesn't pass away so soon, it's likely that the baby child will live with severe disabilities that limit life opportunities and quality of life. I think we, we all accept that We can live with disabilities and there are lots of disabilities whereby you can live a full life. However, when you live with a progressive disease for which there's no treatment and no cure, it can be very difficult. And for many parents, a common cold can be fatal. So you're constantly living with a knot in the bottom of your stomach wondering if this cold or if this childhood illness is going to develop into something far more serious. And it's a constant fear.
0: And exactly how, how has this been received in, in the community, the, the development of the, the three-parent baby? Has it been welcomed?
2: Well, very much so. For a lot of the families we work with now, the technique is possibly too late because you have to be of a certain age and, and have a, a certain form of inheritance pattern for the mitochondrial donation to, to be available to you. However, for brothers and sisters of parents who have lost a child, these techniques are, are well, preventative. If you have this condition running through your family, the chances of you having a a child with a mitochondrial disease is extremely high. And even if you as a mother show no symptoms, you can still give birth to a child who has very severe symptoms. And each pregnancy will carry the same risk. Even though you have no symptoms
1: yourself as a parent, you run that risk. There's a lot of guilt and stress. I would imagine involved in those families. Um, you know, particularly if you're a mother, you're desperate for a family yourself, but the last thing you want to do is pass on these kinds of life-limiting conditions to your children. It must be awful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And those, that's for the parents that know. There are many mothers who have a child who didn't even know they carry this disease until the child starts showing symptoms, and the guilt that they feel that they've brought this child into the world, obviously unknowingly. But they've brought this child into the world carrying this disease because they carried it themselves. But because they showed no symptoms, they had no idea it ran in their family. And obviously, you know, as as science is improving and diagnostics are improving, you know, we're learning more and more about family history. But it may have been in their family for many years and, and they may not have realized that it was a mitochondrial disease that caused the health issues in the family line. So lots of the parents and siblings and everybody we speak to, there's this definite element of guilt that they've made it happen. And also, even though they've had a child, they've then got to tell all their female members in their family that they have this condition. They've passed it down onto their daughters. And actually, it has a knock-on effect for all female members of that family line. It's almost like you're the bearer of bad news and you have to tell it, even though it's not your fault you're still the one responsible for then having to tell your family members that this disease is in the family and suggest you get everybody tested.
0: Liz, now it's it's a view, it's not necessarily ours, but it is a view that this technique perhaps took things too far, that it interferes with the natural order of things, that in effect we're tampering with what nature intended. It must be a view that you've heard and I wonder how you would respond to that.
2: It's a funny one, isn't it? Because I can understand, I can understand where that viewpoint comes from, but this technique is going to be used only for serious mitochondrial diseases. And it can't be used to do things like changing eye colour or hair colour or the sex of a child. So it can only be used to stop the transmission of mitochondrial disease within the families. So I, I believe that if science is offering us a, a solution, as in terms of a prevention, then I fully believe that it becomes a family choice. And I think the choice is the key here. You know, science has paved the way for cures for many conditions. And would you say that that it's interfered with the natural order of things, you know, in other diseases? I'm not sure you would. And obviously it's a choice. Nobody's saying anybody has to have it or anything has to, anybody has to do it. But technique has surrounded by very robust processes. And it's, not offered to everybody. Everybody, you know, who have a mitochondrial disease, there is a a very strict protocol surrounding it. And I I believe that that's right. And I think it will be used in just in the right way for the right cases.
0: Well, Liz, thank you so much for uh, finding time to explain things to us. Uh, We really appreciate it.
2: No problem. Thank you.
0: Joe when I've told people about this story something that's come up is is that uh, that old chestnut well where do you stop and I know at the time when uh, in 2017 the the technique was announced terms like designer babies were floated and and it's interesting that liz mentioned eye color people i, I read articles with people saying you know where, where do we stop are we going to allow parents to change it sets a dangerous precedent allow parents to choose and change eye color if they argued you know that it would impact their quality of life but i think Liz's point was was great you know should we just let nature run its course with all illnesses you know if we know how to correct them for instance diabetes or cystic fibrosis should we let children die of that and of course, she talks about the robust processes too, which I think is a key thing. In your investigations, you must have looked at this. The HFEA are our regulatory body and it's more more than just a regulatory body, isn't it? It's a legal, it's legal authority that allows certain kinds of research and doesn't allow others. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yes, so it has overriding control over all of this, and it's very clear from the documents that have been submitted to it. Um, I mean, it, it, it approves this technique on a case by case basis, and every single case must be, you know, incredibly well documented and backed by, you know, a panel of scientists and doctors, and then it's reviewed by the HFEA's own panel of experts in ethics and law and uh, and science. And it's clear that in every single one of those cases, the chances of an individual mother having a healthy child was next to zero. So this is the difference between a couple having their own genetic child and not. That gives you a sense of what it's actually being used for. We've had IVF now since the late 1970s, I think 1978 was the first test tube baby, and you know, to do, so that's what 43 years. We haven't to date started selecting embryos based on their resulting eye colour. We don't even do sex selection in this country, which is actually legal in some other countries. There are lots of things we could use IVF for, and we don't.
0: I, I didn't think to look, but I, I imagine similar kinds of things were said back then when, uh, was it Louise Brown that's right. that was the first IVF test tube? I love that term, yeah, test tube baby. Exactly. You can kind of think of a little. Little baby in a a
2: test test tube.
1: tube, Exactly, (laughs) it's quite A test tube,
0: which isn't really quite how it works. It's a petri dish, isn't it? So, I've actually seen it done. Have you? I have watched the conception of a test tube baby, and it's fascinating. By ICSI where they actually implant one sperm into. Actually, I don't know if it was a. a, It it resulted in a in a in a conception, but I was invited to an IVF clinic and uh, saw the potential creation of a new human being which is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. To talk a bit more about the science side of this, next on the line we have Dr David Clancy, a researcher in mitochondrial genetics at the University of Lancaster. Dr Clancy, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. Uh, I guess my first question is, you know, the idea of a three-parent baby mixing the genetics of three adults to create one human... It's pretty mind-blowing. It sounds like something out of science fiction.
3: Could you explain a bit about how this is done? There are two different ways, but I'll, I'll explain one way. The mother, her eggs are harvested, and the nucleus, which contains the chromosomes, is taken from that egg. That is then injected into a donor egg, an egg from a woman who's a donor, And that egg has had its chromosomes removed. So what you've done now is you've taken the chromosomes, the 46 chromosomes that all humans have, out of the egg with the defective mitochondria. And you've put it into an egg which has healthy mitochondria. And then the third parent is the father, is the sperm
0: and so the the mitochondria are the bit, which we don't want because they're defective in the in the first mother, and so we take the the outside bit with the the defective bit off, take the nucleus with the DNA of that person, put it in another person's egg with healthy mitochondria, and then fertilise it, and then essentially you've got yeah three parents, that's incredible. yeah, yeah. this technique has been in use for some years. And, uh, you know, people have been experimenting on this since the 1990s. Are there any drawbacks to doing this? I mean, it's, it sounds quite out there.
3: To some extent, this is a definitional issue and an ethical issue. It depends the way you think about it. The thing is, this technique is an imperfect technique. And every single person who has anything to do with it will tell you it's an imperfect technique. And it's imperfect because sometimes some of the mothers impaired mitochondria remain, and sometimes, as development occurs, those mitochondria expand, and you end up with an embryo that contains a significant proportion of diseased mitochondria. Now that is a big issue if you think that medical procedures should do no harm, and in particular, if you think that the creation of a life which at that stage has no say over its creation, should be subjected to that level of risk. Now, if you're going to take the view that a mother with disease mitochondria, for some reason or another, for 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 just basic human accident type reasons, is going to have children, is going to get pregnant and going to bring a child to term, and the child's very, very likely to have mitochondrial disease, if you think of that scenario as an inevitability, then offering this procedure is a very good thing, right? Because, you know, you could have a child which is free of mitochondrial disease. The problem here, I think, is, and the problem that seemed to have been missed through all the argument, all the debate, and right through the HFEA deliberations was what is the benefit? Because the alternative for a mother who has diseased mitochondria, where she's just about guaranteed to have an affected child, is to have IVF by donor egg, right? So like millions of people do because for one reason or another, they can't conceive, right? So you realize that you're going to produce affected children, so you, you go for IVF. If you look at it that way, then the only benefit for this procedure is that the woman can have a child which has her chromosome, which is genetically related to her, right? That's the only benefit.
0: I, I completely get what you you mean but you know uh, the same thing could be said as to why have ivf at all you know the, the adoption is uh, is an option for parents who struggle to conceive so you know I mean there is obviously a desire within people to have their own have their own children and and perhaps many women feel uh, that they wouldn't like to have a donor egg and you know that this technique helps families who are affected uh, very badly by a, what we believe to be a now correctable illness. So, you know, by, by that standard, why wouldn't you treat an illness that you can correct?
3: That, that's quite right, yes. But again, it, it is a question of how you think about it because you know there's a risk of producing an affected child with this treatment. It does violate the do no harm. Yeah,
1: I, I just wondered, David, do you know if there are any actual safety concerns over and above the risk of passing on Damaged mitochondria regardless of the technique. Uh, Are there any other issues that that scientists have been aware of that might be a possibility with this? Or do we still just simply not know?
3: Yes, so initially I was a bit a bit concerned about it because one of the things I study is kind of mismatches between The mitochondrial genome and the the nuclear the chromosome genome because the mitochondria need a whole lot of a whole lot of components that are encoded by the chromosomes Uh, then everything has to work together very well and there's quite a lot of experimental evidence that shows that sometimes they don't work together very well
1: so the equivalent would be, a, say, a transplant patient where the organ is, is rejected because it, it doesn't quite fit in its new body genetically.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a bit more of an immune thing. But, it, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a not unreasonable analogy. It's, a, it's an area that certainly in humans we don't know much about. We know a little bit more now. And I think that, that the HFEA, I think they kind of thought that we don't know a lot about it There's not evidence in humans for really major effects, although it must be said they haven't really been looked for. You know, we can't do controlled experiments. In the end, I kind of felt that that was maybe not such a an important thing because what you often get with genetic problems is they have to run through a little bit of a sieve, if you like. There's almost a sieve to conception the, the ones that work in conception survive and then there's a sort of a sieve to do with development particularly early development many conceptuses don't survive early development for um for various genetic reasons and so i kind of thought in the end i wasn't overly bothered about this nuclear mitochondrial mismatch so to my mind that was really the only one apart from the fact that it's an imperfect technique and sometimes you get this expansion of the disease mitochondria.
0: And I believe that you've looked into whether or not babies have been born. The HFEA has received applications for the technique to be put in use. But what we don't know is whether three-parent babies have been born. Uh, Do you have any update on that at all?
3: Yeah, I did, it's two years old. It's nearly two years old. I did an FOI request and I got the response back. So where there's low numbers, they're not allowed to tell me what the actual numbers are. It said at that point there had been 17 applications, 15 had been approved by the committee, Um, there were eight unique donors, seven treatments, the number of unique patients it says is less than five, the number of pregnancies less than five, and the number of live births was zero.
0: Interesting, but we don't know what the state of players now
3: over the last two years we don't know
0: We'll we'll definitely be looking into that as time goes by dr clancy thanks so much for finding time to
3: talk to us oh no problem my pleasure
2: hi Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk.
0: Well, that's, I mean, fascinating, the idea that, in fact, this technique has led to uh, pregnancies, although no live births as of two years ago. It it would seem that women can get pregnant using this method. So to all extents and purposes, we could have a three-parent baby now with us.
1: That's right. It's quite intriguing, isn't it? The idea that actually um, those pregnancies now have led to a live birth. We obviously can't say that for certain, but it would be wonderful if so.
0: And what did you gain from looking into this otherwise that might indicate that?
1: Well, I spoke to the HFEA to ask them whether they were monitoring any outcomes from these teachers. Clearly, as the regulator, they have a vested interest in seeing what happens as a result of any technique, any fertility technique that's performed in the UK. And they told me that, yes, they were and that where the parents consented for a follow up to be conducted, then that's what the Newcastle Clinic would be doing. But they were also responsible for monitoring any serious adverse events following the use of this technique. Now, they wouldn't tell me how many had been reported to them, but they acknowledged that they had received some reports, which suggests that the technique has been successful. Again, it suggests there has at least been a pregnancy and may well have been a birth. Obviously, we can't speculate on what those serious adverse outcomes might be, and we wouldn't want to do that, obviously. But it does seem more likely than not, perhaps, that we have a birth somewhere
0: the reason that they couldn't tell you is because by telling you the adverse events it could identify the family which would indicate perhaps i mean again this is massive speculation hat on my head right now uh, but if it was simply a pregnancy not coming to term then that's so common in these kinds of families that you know it would have to be something a little bit more involved in terms of an adverse event For it to identify the family simply by being told its nature.
1: That's right. One of the things that I I thought of was that mitochondrial disease expresses itself in such unique and individual ways. So if they were to tell me anything about the context of that condition on on the family or potentially even the effect on any resulting child, that would risk identifying the family involved. So it may be something along those lines, but I mean again, purely speculation.
0: In Brave New World, they had the uh, scenario where there were the haves and have-nots in life that that people were either born using a technique that would perfect them in order to have no disabilities or illnesses, and those that were born naturally using these techniques uh, were a second-class citizen. Does it remind you of that, this scenario? Is this the start of a Brave New World?
1: I don't think it's the same at all. I think in these cases, these are families who are like, you know, like most of us at some point in our lives, you know, they want to have a family and so many of them are prevented from doing so or choose not to because of the risk of passing on this disease. I mean, you'd you'd like to think that given the huge advances in technology in our fertility sector here and across the world, that everybody deserves a chance to have their own child, and, and most people do these days. This is the technique that gives that opportunity to these families who might otherwise not be able to do so at all. So I, I don't think it quite takes us into designer baby territory. I don't think anyone would say that mitochondrial disease has some kind of important role to play in society, and um, I don't think anyone would miss it if it vanished completely. So this technique takes us one step closer to getting rid of these terrible conditions once and for all
0: but i wonder whether you know we we talk about the genetic basis of many things and you know cancer for instance treatment for cancer has been revolutionized by our understanding of the genetics of it but we also think things like diabetes and heart disease have a strong genetic component and you know if we could select those out would we not choose to do so
1: Well, we already do that for um, a number of, again, very serious genetic conditions. But again, there's usually a restriction on which ones you can do that for. And again, it's something that the HFEA approves on a case-by-case basis. So, for example, historically they have approved selection of embryos in families who are affected by very severe, very early onset um, Alzheimer's. But, but these are genetic um, issues which would again affect the length of a resulting child's life, have a huge impact on families and you know it leads to you know, potentially parents giving up work to become full-time carers. It's not just as simple as screening out Chronic conditions, which yes might have an impact on your health, but are not going to necessarily limit the length of your life. I mean, type two diabetes, for example, yes, when there is a genetic component, but also there are lifestyle factors that we can employ to make sure that we are not affected, or we can even reverse it nowadays just by making lifestyle choices. But that choice isn't available to people who are affected by some of these very serious mitochondrial diseases. So I think. We won't quite get to a stage where we are breeding out conditions which are chronic but can be managed. Um, I think it will be limited to the most serious end of that spectrum for the foreseeable future anyway.
0: Well, it will be fascinating to see what happens next. And if you do discover any more, please do come back and tell us all about it, Joe.
1: I absolutely will
0: that's all we have time for today you'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's the mail on sunday and make sure you visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts videos opinion pieces and more you can follow us on twitter by searching at MailPlus, and we'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next week see you then